Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Man, what an action-packed show, and so much will develop during this broadcast. Uh, stay tuned. Don't miss a minute and buckle up. Uh, we're going to have Bill Crane joining us. You know, he's the ultimate insider for Georgia politics, WSB TV and radio. We're lucky enough to be affiliated with them. And Bill's going to be joining us. He put out the five. He put out the word five alarm fire uh, for Republicans that you're in trouble with this runoff election, even though you're favored to win. You're being outworked and the, you're beating each other up. And it's going to be trouble. And it turns out. He was right. And there's uh, more to know this hour as well. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What they don't need is to be shamed. What they don't need is the threat of fines. If the state of New York says, well, you get a million dollar fine if you move too quickly and you get a hundred thousand dollar fine if you move too slowly, that doesn't get anyone anywhere. Uh, that is Mayor Bill de Blasio talking about his uh, arrogant governor uh, finding hospitals in people if they don't get the vaccines out. COVID-19 lockdowns by California, like Illinois, like New York, lockouts like those people who want to open up their restaurants and gyms and adjustments. Those great governors like Ron DeSantis in Florida, all making moves to try to get vaccines in the arms of Americans. Number two. What I can tell you is that these votes have been properly certified by the states. And I have to agree with Vice President Pence if he's concluded that he does not have the authority to simply reject these sets of votes. There it is. Jonathan Turley weighing in the march and the challenges. Thousands are gathering for Trump and the Capitol. Uh, and Republican lawmakers are standing up for him inside the Capitol uh, when it comes to certifying this election. We will cover it all as it unfolds within this show. Number one. And I think following that famous hour-long rambling uh, and, and, frankly, completely and wildly inappropriate call is a reminder that President Trump's unconventional and divisive style of leadership did not produce the results Republicans might have hoped for in Georgia. Yep, uh, Chris Coons, uh, Delaware senator, replaced Joe Biden when he became vice president. The Georgia runoff looks like Dems might just get uh, might just be running the Senate and aloof in Washington uh, as Warnock beats and all of Washington as Warnock beats Loeffler as well as Purdue and Ossoff race too close to call. But leaning John Ossoff will have the latest along the along with the factors that gave the Dems seemingly this stunning sweep. As of right now, Warnock beat uh, Leffler. It's over uh, 50 to 50.6 to 49.4. She wasn't a strong candidate. Seems like a nice person. Uh, was robotic during her campaign. Terrible during her debate. And was not helped by the fact that the president was warring with the governor. John Ossoff, inexperienced. Uh, almost no experience. But talented on the stump. His message you wouldn't think resonates with Georgians. 
But somehow at 33, he seems to have beaten David Perdue 50 to 49. But there are 17,000 military votes yet to be uh, yet to be counted. 4,000 absentee ballots need to be counted, and a couple of counties that have not finished counting their ballots. So it's not over yet. But what happened in six weeks that David Perdue had an 88,000 vote lead? That is with a libertarian in the race. And now it has dissipated to the point he needs a Hail Mary to win, which means chairmanships, control of the Senate, even though slight, if 50-50, goes to Democrats. Bernie Sanders has got the budget. Judiciary is Dick Durbin. Are you kidding? Well, Joe Biden, whoever he puts up, is going to get green-lighted. Warnock on the win. Cut to. We were told that we couldn't win this election. But tonight... We prove that with hope, hard work, and the people by our side, anything is possible. May my story be an inspiration to some young person who is trying to grasp and grab hold of the American dream. Look, congratulations on the win, but please don't tell me you're the type of quality candidate that America needs right now. The guy that says America should apologize for their whiteness? A man that's uh, used as a mentor, Reverend Wright, who said, God damn America, who said you can't serve the military and God, really? Who says uh, the cops are the ones committing carnage? Really? He won? He won. It has a lot to do with the fact that Republicans were tearing each other's eyes out. Governor Kemp, Secretary of State, the President of the United States, the $600 as opposed to the $2,000 with the coronavirus package, the president siding with Democrats, putting Republicans in a terrible place. Reverend Al Sharpton, sadly, nailed it. Cut eight. I want to thank Donald Trump for being Donald Trump, because if he had not been acting in the asinine way he had, I do not believe we would have had the victory in Georgia. The, the fact that he is so bullheaded and stubborn, I think that he is aided and abetted the takeover of uh, the Democrats of the Senate, at least to match them 50-50 with a tie vote to the first black woman and the first woman vice president. No one could have messed it up like you did, Mr. President, and we're going to be ever grateful. Look, uh, he was the only one that could have beat Hillary Clinton, true. He's the only one whose beliefs and track record allowed him to keep all the state houses and not lose one single House seat and put him in a position to hold the Senate when all the odds are he wouldn't. Got it. But this was a victory. Purdue had it. He did not campaign well. He got the virus, so he sat on the sidelines for four days. He didn't show up for the debate. He didn't go out to areas in which didn't vote for him. He looked to maximize areas that did. Not a good strategy, it seems. When the governor, Kemp, defied the president and didn't go with Doug Collins, but went with Kelly Leffner, that was the beginning of the Hail Mary pass for Democrats in which was once red Georgia. So today, the president of the United States will have a speech at 11 o'clock. It's called the March for Trump. It's a rally outside the White House. All right. Then at 1.30, the March to Save America uh, steps off to the U.S. Capitol. In between there, there'll be a certification of the Electoral College, at which time Mike Pence will be overseeing the ceremonies, which should just be an automatic ceremonial situation. 
But the president is expecting more from Mike Pence. He's expecting him not to certify the electoral victory, which I think is a bridge too far. Mike Pence has been nothing but loyal. He is nothing but class. I hear even behind the scenes at the most unorthodox tweet the president put forward, he still doesn't blink in his de- defying and defending the, defending the president. And whether it's Egypt or Israel, whether it's something controversial domestically or international, he has the president's back. And because of that, I believe that if the president turns on him, he will fracture the party. Yeah, yeah, he'll hurt Mike Pence in the short term. But there's not a person on the planet who does not believe Mike Pence is loyal to the president of the United States. I don't think there's anybody that does. Here's the president, cut 11. And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. Yeah, he can't come through. It's not up to him to overturn or not confirm. Joe Biden did it when those lunatics stood up in 2017 to not certify your electoral college victory or Hillary Clinton. He basically told the squad to sit down. As Barbara Boxer stood up, he listened. And then when Congresswoman Tubbs stood up, he listened. And then when the squad started standing up, he said, that's it. That's it. We're done. So evidently they had lunch yesterday, at which time the vice president said, according to the New York Times, that he does not have the power to block the certification of electoral college results. The president called that report fake news and insisted he and Pence were in total agreement that the VP has the power to act. Well, I don't think so. Jonathan Turley, who went to college to learn about the law, said this, cut 16. This has been this longstanding uncertainty as to what Congress can do. But what I can tell you is that these votes have been properly certified by the states. Many of them have been subject to court challenges. And I have to agree with Vice President Pence if he's concluded that he does not have the authority to simply reject these sets mm. of votes. Um, I think that the, the case law is, is rather limited. But if you go by the text of the Constitution and the federal statute, that is the stronger position. So hundreds, over 100 Republican lawmakers, the president wants about 130, are going to stand up for the president in the House. On the Senate, at least a dozen, maybe 13 senators will stand up with Ted Cruz as he formally asked for a 10-day pause to examine controversial results in three separate states. And I get it. They changed their rules and violated their constitution uh, in this election. I understand it. Uh, and I think it's got to stop it. I think we got to do an examination of it to make sure it doesn't happen again. I don't care Democrats or Republicans. But this is not going to produce the Hail Mary pass to overturn an election, much of the chagrin of the thousands marching on the Capitol for the president and much on the inside of the Capitol for the retired president and his party. Cut 18, Trey Gowdy. My sense is uh, people are smart enough to know the die is cast for this election. If you want to reform and have zero margin for error in, in elections, more power to you. Let's do that. Um, but but it'll be focused on 2024. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine a, a, a large swath of my fellow citizens really think the House and the Senate are going uh, to flip the rebuttably, the, you know, it, there's a rebuttable presumption that elections are reliable and, 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 and have integrity. 
I, I don't see that presumption rebutted tomorrow. There's a couple of reports. Politico saying that the president has told at least three separate people he knows he lost. And he's just extremely disappointed. And number two is there's another story in the Washington Post today. The president's faulty belief that Mike Pence can somehow overturn the election results is being fueled by agitators who are feeding Trump misinformation. Uh, and those agitators, according to this Washington Post story, are Rudy Giuliani, Peter Navarro, and Sidney Powell. We'll see. I just know this. Mike Pence is not the problem, and he should not be put in this impossible situation. And I back up what Kellyanne Conway said. He is not thinking about 2024 right now. People like Senator Lee, who helped the president through impeachment, Senator Cotton, who's been there every step of the way, leading the president to bar China, uh, Chinese fights from coming here. Things could have been so much worse as the pandemic took root. I believe that when they don't come aboard, it doesn't mean they're bad people. It means this is an electoral college challenge sets a bad precedent because I worry about the Democrats challenging a Republican and the Democrats ultimately saying now that they have perhaps a majority in the Senate, we don't need that electoral college thing anymore. That does not work to Republicans' advantage. Do the math. Not a great day for Republicans, but it's a great day to be on the show. We're going to watch so much unfold during this broadcast. one 408 I'll be back talking a little about the coronavirus and how Governor Ron DeSantis is in the eye of the storm by the media because he's doing such a superior job than almost every other of the 49 governors in this country. We're going to talk about the firestorm and his reaction when we return as we all effort to get vaccines in an orderly expeditious fashion a radio show of the people for the people you're with brian kilmeade this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage no matter what stage you're in shopify's there to help you grow Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path.
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. What has gone wrong with the rollout of the vaccine that we've seen phone lines jammed, websites crashing? There's a lot of demand. I mean, I think at the end of the day, excuse me, excuse me. If I could finish my question. You just said what has gone wrong, so I'm answering the question. If I could complete the question, though. So are you going to give a speech or are you going to answer, ask a question? So that is uh, the CNN reporter berating a governor. Where is this CNN reporter, a national reporter who's going out of Florida that has kept their state open the best they can responsibly while acknowledging the virus and having a plan in place, works or not, but working effectively than most, to vaccinate? How dare you come down and berate a governor when you got the governor of New York taking no responsibility, CNN located in New York. You know how easy it is for them to get to Albany or wherever he is at any time or New York City when he does a million of these? Nothing. But this reporter shows up and tries to berate him. And I just think it's a joke because Florida is not looking for a federal bailout. They have a tax base because they're trying to keep their clubs open, their their health clubs open. Their bars open, their restaurants open. They're trying to do more than just Costco and Target. I'm just so outraged by this. But believe it or not, the governor isn't. Cut 23. I don't seek validation by the media. Uh, What I seek is supporting the citizens of my state. And some of these networks, obviously, uh, they have agendas. They're they're uh, doing narratives. They're not trying to report facts anymore. We're going to continue keeping our eye on the ball and working as hard as we can to deliver results. Ben is listening in Florida, Jacksonville, WOKV. Hey, Ben. How are you, sir? You're a patriot. You you well deserve the same medal that uh, Rush Limbaugh received. Well, uh, question is thank this. you, uh, but I will say this. It's interesting. You have the military votes that you're calling about. There's about 17,000 have yet to be counted. Right. Why have they already called the uh, Warnock without using those votes? Because there's 40, I think she's down by 40,000. Uh, greater number than uh, the available votes that have yet been counted. Yeah, That's and uh, I to know. yeah, there's uh, there's about two counties they have not finished with. There's also absentee ballots they're not done with, four thousand and seventeen thousand military votes. And many would think that you would not be, uh, you know, you'd be voting more towards the right because Republicans uh, typically get most of the military votes. So there is some hope for David Perdue, but man, uh, Ben, there's a lot of criticism justifiably for Purdue not being more active, not showing up for that debate. And he's quarantined for the last four or five days. Michael listening online in Jefferson, Georgia. Hey, Michael. Good morning, Brian. I'm a life, lifelong Georgian and I love your audio books, by the way. Thank you. But what I wanted to say, the Georgia Rhino Secretary of State changed the rules on absentee ballots and up to a half a million people sent in absentee ballots that shouldn't have. So Georgia Republicans showed up and voted, uh, and they did what we needed to do. But the Dems in Fulton County and DeKalb County cheated again, just like November 3rd. But how do you mean cheated? How do you mean cheated? well, these these people sent in uh, absentee ballots who don't live in Georgia anymore. People that out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. For 16 years old, sent in absentee ballot requests and got to vote. All this stuff, and, and our, our feckless governor does nothing. So it's it's just maddening. But how do you know sixteen year olds? How do you know sixteen year olds voted? Uh, well, the the uh, the guy on Fox and Friends this morning talked about how many people uh, absentee ballot requests came in, and the the uh, the Secretary of State loosened the requirements for signature no, no, verification. This, this is where you're right, Michael. This is where you're right. The sixteen year olds voting is nothing. I've ever heard of that. What they did is they tapped into the seventeen year olds that turned eighteen. Over the last six weeks, that's how Stacey Abrams was able to identify them. Number two is, you're right, the no-excuse mail-in ballots possibly was the undoing of the president and this. But they changed with the pandemic. My hope is they dial it back because we need to know the people that are voting should be voting. I don't care how many, but I want everyone to vote. We just want them legal. And it's hard to do that with the mail-in ballot. When we come back, what's going on on the ground? Bill Crane tells us as senior communication strategist for WSB in just a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It is with humility that I thank the people of Georgia for electing me to serve you in the United States Senate. Thank you for the confidence and trust that you have placed in me. John Ossoff claiming victory, even though he shouldn't. Not one network says he's won, but he does have a 16,000 vote lead, roughly. They're going to start counting again. They have not even touched the military ballots. And, of course, David Perdue is the incumbent. He's officially out. And if, of course, Ossoff holds on, all the chairmanships go to Democrats. It's devastating. It's great for Joe Biden. He's going to get any nominee uh, confirmed. Uh, but how did Ossoff get so close? If he doesn't, in fact, win, which it looks like he is, but it's, it's, we're not done yet. How did he do it? How did he all of a sudden pick up 80, 88,000 votes? He's certainly not a better candidate than we thought. He didn't all of a sudden get better credentials. In fact, his Chinese ties and lack of credentials was exposed. For Raphael Warnock, as I mentioned, he's a Senate version. He should be in the Senate squad. That's how left he is. The stuff he has said should be disqualification for any nominee, let alone a senator. Now, I applaud him breaking through. He's the first person from a Confederate state, African-American, to actually get a nominee as a senator. And he won. Cut three. And I promise you this tonight. I am going to the Senate to work for all of Georgia. No matter who you cast your vote for in this election, in this moment in American history, Washington has a choice to make. In fact, all of us have a choice to make. Will we continue to divide, distract, and dishonor one another? Or will we love our neighbors as we love ourselves? Exactly. From the man who told me to apologize because I'm white. 
who called cops thugs, who said you cannot worship military and God. Yeah, I have to come together and learn to accept people. Good luck with that. Congratulations, Georgia. I have no idea what you were thinking, but good luck. The guy who Reverend Wright mentored, fantastic, who the President Obama had to disassociate himself with in order to get elected. This guy says, no, I'm proud of him. But the implications are profound if they, in fact, do do hold on. And today is going to be fireworks. I'm not, uh, I don't know anybody that thinks something's going to get done today, but they're going to push back on the certification. I love the emphasis and the underlining of problems in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona. I love it. You've changed things at the last minute. You didn't fight hard enough Republicans to underline this. The pandemic changed everything, made this all possible. I mean, think about this. Joe Biden can't get a crowd. He can't have a 45-minute stump speech. He's good at maybe 11 minutes. He couldn't do three debates. He got away with two debates because the president got the virus. Number two, you had a, a guy that couldn't get crowds. The president of the United States couldn't get crowds. He couldn't rally. He couldn't barnstorm. That was huge. And number three, you allowed un, unexcused mail-in ballots. So wherever you are, just mail it in. Mail it in. Uh, the signature matching, they loosened up to the point where more signatures allowed in, less were rejected. And in the case of Georgia, all of a sudden you decided, I'll go to someone's house and fix it, have them fix their ballot rather than just disqualify their ballot, which happens with mail-in voting all the time. People make a mistake. You screw up the envelope. You don't sign it. You don't fully uh, outline it. And things happen. So Ted Cruz looked at this over the weekend, made a call to Senator John Kennedy and said, look, I got I'm going to call around to my Senate colleagues. I think we should protest at the Electoral College. And if I protest, I get an hour to speak state by state. So they picked out three states, Arizona, Georgia and uh, Michigan. And they're contending, uh, contesting them. Here's Ted Cruz. Cut 12. I intend to object tomorrow. Uh, all 11 senators have, 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 are standing with me on that, in that objection. And, and what the objection is for is to demand uh, that we form an electoral commission, an electoral commission that has the authority to investigate these claims of voter fraud, to consider the evidence and to make determinations. These allegations are serious. And I got to say, there are far too many people in Washington who are saying dismiss the claims out of hand, don't look at them, don't consider them, that Congress has to have a blindfold on. I don't think that's right. I think we have an obligation to the Constitution to defend the rule of law. But the problem is the states have certified this already. The problem is he's got three over 300 electoral votes. The problem is it's not just one state, it's three states. And I know it, uh, it, it – just let's look on the surface. Take a step back. The president gets 74 million votes. It's about 10 million more than he got last time despite the impeachment, despite the Mueller report, despite the pandemic. But the guy who has the least charisma and has the least talented politician present in my lifetime set an all-time record with 81 million votes more than Barack Obama. President Trump sees that and says something's wrong here. But as Jonathan Turley tells us, there's nothing you could do about it today. But you can let your voice be heard to hopefully fix the problem. Cut 15. This has been an unresolved mess for about 150 years. This was uh, most prominently dealt with in the election of 1876 between Rutherford Hayes and Samuel Tilden. Uh, That led to this type of commission that Senator Cruz is discussing. 
that led to a partisan vote of the commission that selected Hayes, even though it does appear from every objective perspective that Tilden actually won the election. Uh, but since then, there has been an unresolved question as to not just the authority of the vice president, but even the authority of Congress in, in dealing with these types of questions. So the Matt Gates came out and said, I think Republican leadership is going to allow other Republicans to speak that aren't for this con- uh, contesting of the election. House Democrat leaders have named for Electoral College debate uh, Congresswoman Lofgren, Raskin, man, obviously, uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, can't get enough of him, and a congressman I never heard of, uh, Joe Neguse of Colorado. And Ron Johnson says, I heard all this. I'll sign on with Ted Cruz. And if Republicans hold the Senate, he will do an investigation on all this stuff. But guess what? As of right now, it does not look like Republicans are going to hold the Senate. So you have a situation where the Democrats just must be loving it. Because you have people like John Thune, John Cornyn, Mitch McConnell, who have been called out by the President of the United States for not backing him and for acknowledging that Joe Biden is president-elect, no matter where you stand. If you're a Republican, you're not happy about this. Senator Mike Lee, a big fan of the president's, can't go along with this. President's not happy with him. Senator Tom Cotton called out directly on Twitter by the president. So what you have is a divided Republican Party at a time in which they're trying desperately to have some semblance of power. Eric Trump did not make things better, but I understand he's protecting his dad and is all in on this Electoral College challenge and will be speaking in about an hour. Cut 20. You had minors voting in Nevada. You had dead people voting all over. You had, not only did you have dead people voting, Sean, you had people who requested an absentee ballot who had been dead for 10 years and then, you know, a month later went and actually voted um, that ballot. You had addresses that didn't exist in states that miraculously received you know, ballots to them. You had anomalies in the middle of the night where you had 100,000 votes drop every single one of them for Biden. You had, you know, Republicans being told, you know, go home, we'll pick up the counting tomorrow. They went home. 15 minutes later, all the Democrats come back, turn on the lights and start counting votes. It was all explained, uh, whether it's effective or not, they're actually running a commercial saying that was true. But I believe that it was uh, effectively explained that the people went back in and counted, but there was nothing unusual about that. It's been looked at in the, at length, and they accuse Rudy, they accuse Rudy Giuliani of um, uh, and his group uh, falsely portraying that tape. Eric, listen on WDBO. Hey, Eric. Great show, Brian. Sad day. Um, bottom line, I don't know how these guys got past the first runoff, but we know that Georgia says that everything's fine. But they won't let everybody see how they know everything's fine. That's like you getting accused uh, of stealing something, and they say, oh, well, we saw on the videotape you did it. But we're not going to let you see the videotape. Bottom line, Brian, they say that Biden got 80 million votes. Trump got 74. Add that up. That's 20 million more votes than registered voters. That's all this country needs to know. This has been stolen. And uh, oh, well, What did you just say? Think- what did you just say? So Biden, Biden got 80 million votes, they say, right. and Trump got 74 million. Add that up. That's 20 million more voters than registered in this country. And then the other thing I, w- I would like Tom Cotton to ask is, how did NBC, CBS, ABC all have a certain amount of Trump's, Trump votes 
posted up there. There's screenshots of all this. We wake up in the morning and Trump lost votes. Somebody in the Senate tell me how that happened. Uh, I know, you know, the percentage, you lose percentage as the other person gets votes uh, in terms of total. I don't believe I have heard that anywhere, that there were more people who cast vote than registered voters. I'm going to look that up, Eric. I don't think that's true. So thanks for the call. William, listen over in Brooksville, Florida, the Tampa area. Hey, William. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? How come you can't use the, the census that was done in 2020 to compare the number of votes to the number of people living there? Yeah, I, do, I don't think they're done with the census. There's legal challenges. Uh, right now it's working its way through the courts. The president's got legal challenges with that. He's trying to fight the fact that they want to count illegal aliens, and he's pushing back on that. So we don't have a, we don't have a total. Listen, I'm going to take a time out and come back. Uh, there's so many other, uh, other uh, big stories. We're also expected the counting to start in 15 minutes again. So we will we'll continue to see. You saw last night as the tallies constantly changed while the anchors were talking. That same thing will happen again. I believe, uh, during our show, and we're monitoring events over in Washington, D.C., outside the Capitol, where people are getting together to support the president. He expects a big crowd. I know he'll speak in about an hour. Don Jr. and Eric will also speak. So it's an exciting day. It's a big day. Democrats got to be happy. They're on the doorstep of taking control of the Senate, but it ain't over yet. Brian Kilmeade. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I mean, I don't blame people out there for saying things because there's so much information out there. Uh, there was stuff over the weekend that Joe Biden was set to resign. It's totally not true. Uh, the call we just had, one of our best, Eric, said just a moment ago that there were more votes in this election than registered voters. That hasn't been done yet because the census is not complete. Eric, you were just telling me that was a gateway pundit thing who wrongly cited the Washington Post that said that very same thing. So gateway pundit took it out of context. It might have used a headline on social media, and that's when you read it. You don't have time. You're doing a million things. You see that story. You register in your head. So there's so much misinformation, and I think six out of every ten Republicans believes the whole election was stolen. That explains the big crowd out there on, on the Capitol, and that explains why so many did not vote, I believe, in Georgia Republicans, because the president basically said it's all a fraud, which didn't help his cause. But let's find out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. On the one hand, you have the Republicans. On the other, you have the seditionists. The Democratic Party, you have the progressives versus the moderates, which is, uh, you know, de rigueur, as they say. The Republican Party is in much more trouble right now. That's completely inaccurate. You have AOC fighting right now about whether or not she's going to end up primarying Chuck Schumer. You have the squad that's coming out very intensely, very angry that Biden hasn't filled his cabinet with more progressives. You missed me so much when I was on maternity leave. You missed me so much. You missed fighting with me. I did not. 
was fighting I did with not me. miss you. Yeah, nice. Joy Behar. Couldn't be more uh, more upsetting to look at. I have no idea why she's still on the air. Whoopi Goldberg pondered aloud that the GOP should break into two separate groups, conservatives and Trump supporters. That was Meghan McCain's first day back on the set, coming back from maternity leave. I, I heard, like, the ever so slight sarcasm there, right? Like, right or no? No, I thought serious? she was being totally honest. You know, I think we'll have to ask someone else later in the show this very question. Next. Alabama's Devonte uh, Devonta Smith becomes the first wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy in 30 years of Alabama. First off, I would like to thank God. Without him, none of this would be possible. Congratulate all the finalists. Just to be in this situation with you guys, y'all are great athletes, and just to be a part of something like this is truly a blessing. Uh, this guy's just a class act and almost unstoppable. Uh, he's a thin, but man, he is strong and fast. Uh, he finished with 447 first place votes. Trevor Lawrence, 20, uh, 222 first place votes. Mac Jones, 138, and Kyle Trask, 61. I would have given it to Trevor Lawrence. He simply helped save college football. He started the whole movement along uh, with Fields of Ohio State to get everybody back on the field. I think for that he deserved it. And he's going to be the number one pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I I will trust your take there. However, I will say, like you said, just watching the video of uh, Smith accepting it. You're right. If you ran into him on the street, you wouldn't be like, oh, he's an amazing football player. He's a, he's not a huge guy. Yeah, I think he's 170, yeah. 170 pounds. Next, uh, George W. Bush and Laura Bush announced to Joe Biden he will be going to the inauguration. Jimmy Carter says he will skip the event. Obviously, the pandemic plays a role in that. Carter's the Democrat. Uh, but meanwhile, George W. Bush and Laura, they, they go to everyone. Freddie Ford made it official, uh, telling uh, Joe Biden, who he's friends with, he's going to go. Still undetermined as if President Trump will go. I don't think there's any chance Trump will go. The big so. question is, will he go to Scotland? But the Scottish president said he will not she, He will not be allowed to go. Well, I think he said there's, you know, you have to get an exception to travel there right now, right? To say it's, like, necessary. Oh, you I see. to apply for some sort of visa or whatnot. Next, the least surprising divorce ever. The question is, how why did it take so long? Kim Kardashian is now on the market. Kanye West and she are breaking up. Multiple sources told Page Six that is, in fact, the case. So as close to the family also told NBC that Kim and Kanye have been in couples counseling and living separately for the past few months. They got a lot of kids. Uh, North is seven. Saint is five. Chicago is two. And Sam is one. Any one of those names I thought was a misprint, but they're all their kids. Um, Wes, a 43-year-old rapper, as you know, uh, worth about $14 million. He's got a ranch, uh, and she is worth probably more, but their show stopped. He never appeared on the show. Yeah, I don't think—I mean, they referenced him, but he rarely did. But, I mean, A, I think you're jumping the gun because it's not official yet, so don't get too excited about Kim K being in the market. But um, the other thing is, you know, he's battles a lot with mental health issues, so I think that had to have been— a struggle they both yeah didn't he make that statement that is that uh that kim's mom is a monster he made some several outlandish statements and i think then they you know said oh he has issues and we're working through them and sadly it seems like they haven't been able to work through them all right meanwhile sad news dr dre swoosh shares a message after suffering a brain aneurysm at cedar sinai medical center that you've been rushed there tmz say the 55 year old mogul is stable and lucid, but doctors don't know what caused the bleeding, and they're doing a battery of tests. Dre posted a message thanking everyone. Thanks to my family. I'm doing great. Aneurysms scare me because you have no idea, no warning. You just hear about, wow, I got a headache. Next thing you know, 
your head explodes. And you seem perfectly healthy. Another thing, people capitalizing, people saw that Dr. Dre was in the hospital and allegedly criminals then tried to break into his house. Are you kidding? Nope. Is that true? Uh, Eric, can you get a second source on that? TMZ. That is so terrible. Brian Kilmeade, that is more to know. Thanks so much for listening. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, We are bringing you the latest breaking news in a show that will have most of its content uh, revolving around what's happening in Washington, D.C. today and what's happening in Georgia. They're going to start counting ballots again with one of the two races already decided. And on the Capitol, the President of the United States is going to be speaking in 55 minutes to a rally for his electoral future. He wants to overturn this election, and he wants everyone to come to town to give them momentum to make it happen or at least show uh, how they feel about him. And about 1.30, there's going to be a march to save America. It steps off and a march to the U.S. Capitol to protest the certification, which is expected, of the Electoral College. The president thinks for sure he was robbed. Most of you do, too. I just have not seen his legal team present the proof that would allow the momentum to happen that would allow some recounts in these areas where they've had a bunch of cases and a lot of judges not even accept seeing them, which is a problem to begin with. we got to get a better system. So meanwhile, we'll have Andy McCarthy in a matter of moments and Ben Dominic shortly, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What they don't need is to be shamed What they don't need is the threat of fines. If the state of New York says, well, you get a million dollar fine if you move too quickly and you get a hundred thousand dollar fine if you move too slowly, that doesn't get anyone anywhere. Uh, Mayor de Blasio talking about the governor of New York threatening to yank vaccines and fine hospitals who don't give the vaccines quick enough. Yes. Way to win people over by fining them. Number two. What I can tell you is that these votes have been properly certified by the state. And I have to agree with Vice President Pence if he's concluded that he does not have the authority to simply reject these sets Mm. of votes. The march and the challenge, thousands gathering for president and the Capitol and right outside the White House will cover it all. Number one. And I think following that famous hour-long rambling uh, and, and, frankly, completely and wildly inappropriate call is a reminder that President Trump's unconventional and divisive style of leadership did not produce the results Republicans might have hoped for in Georgia. Uh, Chris Coons uh, talking about the Georgia runoff. Looks like the Dems might just be running the Senate and uh, all of Washington. It looks like Warnock beat Leffler. That's been confirmed. Uh, and Purdue is trailing Ossoff. There's a lot more votes yet to be counted. We will have the latest as it breaks. But right now, we need a legal expert and none better than Andy McCarthy. Sorry, uh, Jonathan Turley. He doesn't listen this hour, I don't think. Uh, Andy's from New York. You know, he made his uh, made his name here as a U.S. attorney for the Southern District here. Andy, welcome back. Brian, I just read a few things by Professor Turley, so I feel much smarter and prepared now. (laughs) He is smart and a great communicator like yourself. But 
the chances of the president overturning the Electoral College are? Um, about the same as the Jets in the Super Bowl, I'd say. So why is Ted Cruz, who knows the Constitution as well as anyone, doing it? Well, you know, I look, I like Ted. I, I uh, supported him for uh, president. I worked uh, as an advisor on his campaign, so I think very highly of him. Uh, he's a very ambitious guy. I assume uh, he, he sees this as a way to appeal to the Trump base. Uh, you know, some pretty substantial amount of the 74, 75 million people who voted for President Trump. I don't know whether it's probably somewhere between 25 and 45 million people are very strong Trumpers. So, uh, you know, I imagine that uh, if you have 2024 on the brain, that would be something you'd be thinking about. And I think the other thing, Brian, is he's trying to find a middle position since he cares a great deal about appealing to those people. And I think he likes Um, the president. Can I just add this, too? He understands that he knows who this guy is. He'll do anything for a win. And he knows the president, uh, how hard he worked for this. And he under, he has some somewhat empathy. Am I wrong in that? You know him better. No, I well, I I don't purport to be. You know, I haven't talked to Ted Cruz in uh, probably a, a long time, um, and I, I I don't know how is you know how he feels personally about the president. I certainly, if um, if I had the history with the president that uh, that Cruz has. Um, I wouldn't be that all well, that warm and fuzzy, but you know, uh, politics uh, makes strange bedfellows, as they say. So I think these guys have gotten along fine while uh, he's been president. But I, but I do think Cruz being a smart guy, I mean, I'd rather see him do the constitutional thing. But I think what he wants to do is appeal to the Trump base, but at the same time, not take the position of, for example, objecting to uh, the the counting of the votes from Pennsylvania, for example, which would be a a state the Republicans need to win in 2024. You want to be the guy who voted to disenfranchise 7 million Pennsylvanians? I don't think so. So I I think what this device is, that is this electoral commission, that'll allow them to get their yayas out as far as uh, all the things they want to complain about in the way of, uh, you know, alleged fraud, et cetera. And they all know that's going to get voted down. It's got no chance of, of uh, passing. All right, but so that here, way, yeah, you'll here be is, able to say we made the fight, but you know, not object to any state. Yeah, here is Ted Cruz telling us what's going to happen today because it's basically unprecedented. Cut 12. I intend to object tomorrow. Uh, all 11 senators have, 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 are standing with me on that, in that objection. And, and what the objection is for is to demand... Uh, that we form an electoral commission, an electoral commission that has the authority to investigate these claims of voter fraud, to consider the evidence and to make determinations. These allegations are serious. And I got to say, there are far too many people in Washington who are saying, dismiss the claims out of hand, don't look at them, don't consider them, that Congress has to have a blindfold on. I don't think that's right. I think we have an obligation to the Constitution to defend the rule of law. So that'll happen. And I understand they're doing three states specifically. And each one, once they object, they get an hour to bring it together. And this is a joint session. And you have over 100 congressmen and women Republicans that are also going to be protesting this. Do you have any idea? And you might not. Do you have any idea how this is going to unfold? Well, I think 
Brian, first of all, I don't think they're going to object to states. I think what Ted is planning to do is try to make this commission the thing that he wants to object about. And that way it avoids having to uh, object to states, which I would be surprised if he wants to be in that position. I've also looked very carefully. I wrote a column at National Review about this last night. Um, I've looked carefully at the statute that governs today, Section 15 of the federal election law. There is no legitimate basis to, to object under the statute if the state has certified one slate of voters, which they all did prior to the Electoral College. So I think the, uh, the chair could reject the, election, uh, the objections simply on the basis that they're not competent objections under Section 15 of the federal election law, and I do hope that happens. But if, they're, if they overlook that, then what would happen is if you object to a if – if they get one senator and one congressman at least – uh, to object to any particular state, they'll start with, uh, I guess, Alabama's first in alphabetical order, right? And they'll run through the states. Um, they would get I – th- it's either one or two hours of debate per state. Uh, I think in the past when this has come up, they've sometimes done two states at a time. Uh, but both chambers would retire to their chamber, the House and the Senate, and they'd have that deadline, and then they would vote. And obviously there's no – way that uh, any states, uh, you know, the Democrats control the House and in the uh, Senate between the Democrats and the Republicans who think this is a loopy idea, this is going to go down in flames. So there's no state that's electoral votes is actually going to be thrown out. But, you know, they'll be able to do a little song and dance if that makes them happy. And we'll see what happens. But by the way, Democrats have not a leg to stand on. The antics they pulled last time, the fact that they never accepted the president period, that 70 sat out of the inauguration, didn't show up. Uh, What Barbara Boxer did, what Congresswoman Tubbs did, what the squad is starting to do before Joe Biden shut him down. So the president's got a plan B, and it's Mike Pence. You wrote about this. Here's what he said yesterday, cut 11. And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. He said the president tweeted out, and I should say he said that Monday, the vice president has the power to reject the fraudulently chosen electors. Does he? No. He's got utterly no power here, Brian. The the way the Constitution works... It's not just Pence. The Congress has no power. Under our Constitution, just like the states adopted, ratified the Constitution, in other words, we wouldn't have it without the states, the states are sovereign. Every state gets to pick its own electoral votes. There is no congressional check. There's no vice presidential check, even in his capacity as president of the Senate, on the states. As long as they have certified their votes under their law, That's dispositive. We don't have to like that. That's just what the Constitution says. In our system, Washington does not have a check on the states in this regard. And it's shocking to me to see conservatives who purport to be federalists and constitutional conservatives and limited government guys taking the position that Washington has a check on the way states conduct their elections and on their electoral votes. This is what the left has wanted for a half a century. If you get rid of the Electoral College, and part of the reason why I think that Democrats are not going crazy on this, but if you, if you get rid of the Electoral College, if you keep protesting it and say it's ineffective and it's inaccurate and electors are illegitimate, 
Democrats go, okay, I'll get rid of it. That sounds good with me. They'd get rid of it in a yeah. second. You're exactly right there. The Republicans, every every move they're making here, you know, the reason the Democrats are sitting back is why would you interfere if they're gonna if they're gonna commit suicide? Why should you do anything other than get out of their way? But they are making the case for getting rid of the Electoral College. And that's exactly what the Democrats have been trying to do. There's a bunch of blue states that have already signed this interstate compact that says basically whoever wins the national popular vote would get that state's electors, whether the candidate uh, who won that state uh, is that candidate or not. In other words, you know, yep. uh, in 2004, say, New York's electoral votes would have to go to Bush, even though. Kerry won New York by about 30 points. That's the that's their view of the world. You look at who won the national popular vote, and that person gets all the electoral votes. It's it's a terrible system, but we're helping them erect it. It's 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 mind-boggling to me. It is, uh, and it's ongoing. And the anger is real. The protests are real. Uh, the the loyalty to the president is off the charts. But unfortunately, it did nothing, in my opinion but hurt the fortunes of the Republican Senate candidates in Georgia. And I I think the dismount that the president's showing now is going to hurt him if he wants to run in four more years, just like Hillary Clinton was destroyed by being just one of the worst losers in the history of politics. I think that the way Donald Trump exits will have anything to do with that, will have everything to do with how he might enter again. Andy, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, trying to spell something that's spell something out for us that we're waiting to see that basically has been unprecedented. Uh, and it could go on for a whole day. We might be here tomorrow watching what's happening at Capitol Hill with this Electoral College. Meanwhile, Eric Trump is speaking uh, uh, in Washington right now. And let's go out there to the rally and hear a little of what Eric's saying. Lara, his wife, just spoke. This is the March for Trump. The president's supposed to be there in 40 minutes. And that, of course, is Kimberly Guilfoyle, who just got the microphone from Eric Trump. Don Jr. will be next, and sooner or later we'll have the president. It looks like a real big crowd um, offhand by the overhead shot that I can see. I would say, what, 30, 30, 40? You don't have any idea? Eric, you're really good at this figuring out crowds. I would say about 20,000, 25,000. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. What they don't need is to be shamed. What they don't need is more bureaucracy. What they don't need is the threat of fines. If the state of New York says, well, you get a million dollar fine if you move too quickly and you get a hundred thousand dollar fine if you move too slowly, that doesn't get anyone anywhere. That just paralyzes people. Why don't we stop talking about fines and start talking about the freedom to vaccinate? 
letting the professionals New York City, do he recognized his voice, the worst mayor possible, who said, oh, it's my fault. Uh, I haven't been done vaccinating quick enough, but the governor is arrogant, and he should not be finding hospitals for not vaccinating quick enough. Uh, and who said what he learned in this whole pandemic is the need to sleep. Do you believe that? That's what he learned. And he had the audacity to dance with his wife on New Year's Eve while everybody else stayed home and was prevented even from looking at the Christmas tree. 355,000 Americans dead, 21 million cases in the country, but the two-week average on deaths are down 2%. Cases are up too. Uh, there's 4.8 million vaccinated so far. 17 million doses are are been uh, parked around the country. In Los Angeles, it's getting so bad they're losing 183 a day, and it turns out they're running out of oxygen with ambulance crews instructed to use ox- who are instructed to use oxygen only for the worst case patients. And crews were being told are being told not to bring patients to the hospital if they have little help, uh, hope of survival. Arizona's worse. They say the nation they have the highest rate of hospitalizations. In the Atlanta area, nearly every major hospital is full. This is the time to get the vaccinations out as quick as possible and to start ad living the best as possible. California, to their credit, is now asking dentists to give out the shot. I think it's underappreciated how much that matters in the big picture. But I have news for you. As scary as it is, nobody has solved the pandemic. South Carolina, South Dakota, do whatever you want. That hasn't worked out great. But it's worked out better percentage per capita than California. Lockout, you can't do anything. New York, you, you're not allowed to go to school. You are allowed to go to school. You can go to school in some areas. And you can't have a restaurant. You can't have a gym in New York City. That hasn't worked out. I'll take the model of Florida. Not perfect, depending on personal responsibility. But I'll take the governor who is racing, ad-libbing, doing everything possible to get that shot into everybody's arms. That, to me, is going to be what's going to lead to success. William, we'll see on WTRC in South Bend. Hey, William. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. Follow-up call from, from yesterday. Uh, again, reiterating the fact that uh, I truly do believe that um, you're truly fair and balanced. Um, but our conversation yesterday was I was asking you if, in fact, um, you thought it would be a, a fair and legitimate outcome from a uh, the Georgia race and just kind of want to, I've been listening to you all morning, just kind of want to. What do you think? What, do you, your thoughts are. what do you mean by this? What do you mean? What's meaning a fair legitimate? Did, meaning was the, the count they're talking about how many, uh, how many different votes aren't in and that there's still yeah. a bunch of absentee votes that need to be counted. It looks like I have not seen anyone protest the Reverend Warnock's win, but I don't think Purdue is lost yet. I mean, we got, uh, according to stats, 17,000 military ballots still waiting to be counted and opened. 4,000 absentee ballots not counted. And there's a bunch of counties that said we're coming back today at 10 Eastern and starting to count. So hope is not dashed, but he's trailing by 16,000. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I want to thank Donald Trump 
for being Donald Trump because if he had not been acting in the asinine way he had, I do not believe we would have had the victory in Georgia. The, the fact that he is so bullheaded and stubborn, I think that he has aided and abetted the takeover of uh, the Democrats of the Senate, at least to match them 50-50 with a tie vote to the first black woman and the first woman vice president. Uh, Al Sharpton uh, talking about the November 3rd election, but mostly talking about an election that's unfolding now in the Georgia uh, runoff election that has uh, Reverend Warnock winning two more years. He's going to get two years and then have to run for election again um, and seem to be Kelly Loeffler. And now you have a situation where sitting David Perdue is trailing by 16,000 votes to untested, totally unworthy John Ossoff in terms of experience. Not saying he's not talented, but he's got no experience. He's got no report card. And he's got undisputable relations with China, the Chinese government. And he seems to be on the precipice of winning and delivering the Senate to the Democrats. Does Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, does he agree with that? Ben, do you agree with Al Sharpton? <laughs> Brian, I'll, I'll go. I'll go ahead and say the thing you didn't say. I do think that Dalsov is talentless. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think that we, we we can actually view this election, Brian, as being a perfect example of how Senate races have become completely nationalized. If if this result holds, we would have only six members of the U.S. Senate three Republicans and three Democrats who represent a state that was won by the opposing party in 2020. Think about that for a second. This is just a nationalized election where, you know, John Ossoff is not, he's just a vehicle for what people want. And, uh, and in this case, you know, he's being, uh, you know, put up, put forward. I, and I think will ultimately come out as the victor, though I think we may end up seeing a recount in this context um, against uh, David Perdue in a context in which it was all about, do you want this Biden-Harris agenda uh, to go forward or do you want a hedge against it? And I think that, you know, what we really can see here, though, is Al Sharpton's wrong when it comes to his analysis of what was actually going on on the ground. If if David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler had been able to match the vote totals that they got when Donald Trump was on the ticket, they would be in all likelihood U.S. senators today. But this is a situation where I think you had so many different factors going on. There's a lot of blame to go around. And while you know certainly the president's uh, animosity toward certain Georgia officials didn't help things, I also think that that was you know in terms of what I was hearing from people knocking on doors on the ground in Georgia. It was also keeping his own voters engaged to a greater degree. They viewed it as as much of a help as a hurt, maybe a wash. Um, And that's something that I think we have to keep in mind as a factor here going forward as Republicans sort of view trying to hold together this new, more working class coalition, maybe rolling out, you know, billionaire donor class types is not the way to win to win the populist working class vote. Good point, because Purdue traded more than anybody else on who traded more stocks than anybody else on Capitol Hill. And she's the richest. Uh, And so and by the way, not the pick of the presidents. He wanted Doug Collins. This Governor Brian Kemp picked her. 
And think about why she got picked, Brian. You know, this is so many times politicians try to do this jujitsu instead of just taking the obvious choice. Instead of taking the obvious choice that the president wanted in Doug Collins, Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, basically thinks through, well, wait a minute, she's going to be running again in two years. I don't want to have to compete with her for campaign funds. She can self fund. Plus, maybe, you know, I name a woman and that helps in terms of women voters in the suburbs, something like that. And you end up with someone who is it, totally inexperienced as a political candidate, you know, and it's trying to connect with a more populist moment by, you know, putting on a baseball cap. That's just not going to work. And I think in, in this instance as well, there was a miscalculation in Washington, I think, on the part of Republican leaders from Mitch McConnell's team and from the NRSC and, and the leaders in Washington, I heard a lot of confidence in the past couple of weeks. Well, you know, we feel like we're going to win, and the only thing that could screw it up is, is President Trump. Well, I think that one of the mistakes they made was going down the road that they did with this $2,000 stimulus uh, push that the president made and that was supported by a number of Republicans, in part because, you know, they made the decision, well, we don't need to have a clean vote on this, uh, even though it's an 80-20 issue or polling as such, because we're confident that, that Kelly and that uh, and that David will be able to pull things out in Georgia. Well, how does that feel now? I mean, maybe they should have at least been able to get a clean vote on the issue uh, and be able to remove it a little bit as a point of contention. Uh, you know, instead they allowed the the Democrats in this race, Warnock and Ossoff, to get on the populist and more popular side of that issue. All right, very good analysis as usual. Uh, Sixteen thousand separated them, but we haven't gotten through seventeen thousand military ballots and a few other counties. And we'll see if that county is going to start and we get some live updates like we did last night. We'll keep you up to date. Meanwhile, Capitol Hill, they're seeing some protests uh, and support uh, pro- and demonstrations in support of the president. Uh, it is the March for Trump. And then they're going to do a march to save America. That'll be at 1.30 Eastern time, right to the U.S. Capitol before they certify the election. So I'm going to ask you the hardest question yet for you. You ready? <laughs> who, do, who do you side with? Senator Tom Cotton, Senator Lee, uh, Senator Cornyn, Senator Mitch McConnell, who say this is not the time for the Senate to protest this Electoral College certification. Or do you go with Cruz, Johnson, uh, Kennedy, and 12 others, including uh, the senator from Missouri, Josh Hawley? And in the end, is this going to be a divided Republican Party regardless? I, well, first off, to the answer of your your last question is the easiest one, which is, yes, this will be a divided Republican Party because it's been a divided Republican Party uh, because it's been one that has been really at each other's throats about what their priorities ought to be. I mean, that $2,000, uh, you know, stimulus thing was just the most recent example of that. You know, do you become more populist or do you kind of try to revert to the way things were pre-Trump? Uh, you know, on this uh, on this note, I really side with the people who are making a, a ruckus. And the reason why is this. This is something that they are they are perfectly within their rights to do. It will it is something that has been done in the past. It is something that Barack Obama and Senator, you know, then Senator Hillary Clinton supported when they were in the Senate back in 2005 and and Barbara Boxer did it. And uh, in that case about the state of Ohio. I think that there's some very valid complaints to be advanced, and I think that unfortunately at the state level, in states like Georgia and states like Pennsylvania, there wasn't the kind of response uh, to the many of the legitimate questions people had about what played out here. Now, at the same time, 
I don't think that you should give a false promise to people about what the result is going to be. And I think that's something that's been difficult for a lot of these folks to navigate, making a ruckus about something and saying, hey, we, this is a problem that we can't let stick around and have to be dealing again in two years or four years. Uh, we have to have a solution for this and we have to you know, make a stink in order to make that solution happen. I think that that's a good thing to do. It's something that, you know, frankly, is no, <laughs> no less serious than the things that uh, Congress does on a weekly basis. And so from my perspective, they are completely within their rights to do it. They just shouldn't have any kind of false hope or be offering false hope to their supporters about what the result is going to be. A couple of things. Congressman Vernon Jones has officially announced he's going to be a Republican, the uh, African-American, who has been an outspoken supporter of the president of the United States as a Democrat. And the president just tweeted this. Uh, they just happened to find 50,000 ballots late last night. The USA is embarrassed by fools. Our election process is worse than that of a third world country. I'm not sure exactly uh, what he's referring to. I went to bed at, a, at, at about 1045. But when I did go to bed, uh, Warnock was losing and so was Ossoff. So I don't know, you know what he's I, referring to there. They may be, he might be talking about absentee ballots they were opening up. I think, I think what he's referring to there is this discrepancy in the, uh, the election official who went on, uh, who went on CNN uh, and was talking about this, who, by the way, uh, was basically playing pundit. I saw uh, Kevin Madden, the uh, former Mitt Romney uh, consultant and, and no uh, populist uh, conservative, he uh, criticizing this as being completely inappropriate, and it certainly was. And he, they just messed the numbers up. It sounds like in terms of how many votes they said were were left over. Look, I I don't think that we're a third world country when it comes to our election system. But I do think that we deserve a lot better of an election system than we currently have. And one of those things that I think we deserve is a lot more transparency about vote counting. These images where people are being kept so far away that they can't even tell what's going on in terms of the count that's happening in front of them. We ought to have cameras in there. We ought to be able to have access to the level of transparency that we deserve as Americans so that we can all have confidence in the outcome of this vote. And I'll tell you, Brian, if Republicans don't get their act together, when it comes to some of these different issues that are currently out there, particularly these drop boxes where people can mass drop in a ton of ballots. And once they're in there, you know that it's impossible effectively to check signatures and do the kinds of things that you would normally do if people were uh, required to go and vote in person. That's something that they need to get on top of. Otherwise, they're going to continue to lose elections where in ways that people will have major questions about going forward. No question. Uh, the other thing that's got to stop is I'm like uh, looking at this video of Mitt Romney being berated. I'm seeing the graffiti uh. on Mitch McConnell's garage and, and Nancy Pelosi's. I'm seeing Josh Hawley's family getting harassed. Uh, this got to stop. And you know, you know, it's going to get really bad really quick. It doesn't get better unless we say this is a bridge too far all around. Yeah. You know, I look, I'm perfectly happy to have people go to a town hall meeting and yell at a politician. That's a good thing. Showing up at their house and beating on their door when you're when the new your newborn and your wife uh, are inside demanding that they come out that, that's not appropriate behavior that's not the sort of thing that we should see in a, in a responsible republic there's a completely difference there's a complete difference between confronting people in the context where you can get mad get angry and yell at them about something that they've done that's wrong and going to someone's house confronting their family and putting making them feel at risk that will only create more of a barrier between people and their politicians politicians will hire more security they'll they'll avoid going around regular people we don't want that we want people 
people to be able to walk through an airport and have a conversation without fearing that they're going to be targeted. Your lovely wife, Megan McCain, is back at work, so she now she can use the ABC cafeteria. She doesn't have to bring her lunch anymore. Uh, so I want you to hear a little of this exchange, and maybe you can help me. On the one hand, you have the Republicans. On the other, you have the seditionists. The Democratic Party, you have the progressives versus the moderates, which is, uh, you know, yeah. de rigueur, as they say. The Republican Party is in much more trouble right now. That's completely inaccurate. You have AOC fighting right now about whether or not she's going to end up primarying Chuck Schumer. You have the squad that's coming out very intensely, very angry that Biden hasn't filled his cabinet with more progressives. You Traitors. missed me so much when I was on maternity leave. You missed me so much. You missed fighting with me. Don't I did not. Miss Fighting I did not me. miss you. So, can you <laughs> can you bring me inside this exchange? Does Joy really did Joy really miss Megan? Uh, well, it doesn't sound like she did. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what they missed is that uh, uh, you know she's been back for uh, two days and they've gotten more media attention than they did in several months. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think that's probably what they missed. But look, you know, uh, I I feel like the, Joy's frustration there seems to me to be very palpable and very representative of a lot of the things that I'm hearing from Democrats who are concerned, even with the results in these Senate races, that they're not going to get the kind of outcomes that they wanted. It's almost as if, and Brian, this is a very dangerous thing, it's almost as if people think they win an election and the other side goes away, that they like vanish. I mean, even in this context, we're talking about you know a, a Georgia context that's going to end up 50.5 to 49 or something like that. You know, it's not like those people just disappear. And and instead, we have to learn to be able to live with each other in this country. I think, though, that what a real test of that's going to be is how much Joe Biden is willing to push back against some of the things that progressives want in potentially a Senate that could technically, you know, create two new states, uh, pack the court, eliminate the filibuster and do all these crazy things uh, that the true radicals on their side have really won. Right. If they if the, I guess his first step would be eliminating the filibuster, which Joe Biden says he wasn't for, which Joe Manchin says won't happen. But we all know that could change. And then those other things happen. But the as chair, if, if they do get the Purdue race, if Purdue loses, the chairmanship mm-hmm. all go to Democrats and that means almost every nominee is going to get through for Joe Biden. Right there, yep. that shows the direction of the country. It really does. And and I think that people shouldn't underestimate how important that is. In a closely divided Senate, you're not going to be able to get a lot of legislation through. So a lot of this stuff is going to happen through the bureaucracies, through the agencies. And now uh, Joe Biden has a free hand, essentially, to name a lot more radicals to some of these positions. Uh, and, you know, that's something that is not just him, but it's Kamala Harris as well putting forward people who she wants in this job. I think it was very telling that we didn't get an attorney general named until after the outcome of these Georgia races, because maybe they had two options there in terms of who they would put forward, a more moderate one and someone who's really going to push the envelope. Like Sally Yates, perhaps. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch, Brian. All right, Ben. Always great. Great analysis last night as well. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good to be with you. You got it. one 408 7669 We'll be back with your phone calls. And we'll find out if there's more to know as we see we monitor the latest on the demonstrations in Washington, the Electoral College Challenge at the Capitol, and, of course, the election in Georgia. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We've got a few more minutes until, uh, until we finish up here. Uh, but I'm just watching huge crowd in Washington at the Capitol Hill at the president's uh, big march for him. It's uh, the March to Save America comes off at 1.30 Eastern time. But in a matter, I think, four minutes, the president will be taking the stage roughly at the March for Trump. Rudy Giuliani is getting ready to speak. I'd probably introduce him. And Roger Stone with his top hat, bolo cap, I guess, uh, he is out there speaking. Uh, Don Jr. spoke with a lot of passion. Eric Trump prior to that. Kimberly Guilfoyle there. Larry Trump have all spoken. And they're saying for Republicans to get tough, they got to get strong. If they don't stand with them, they got to be left out of the party. I'm not too sure that that is indeed the case because of the number of people. I mean, Jeff Flake was never on board. I get it. Ben Sass almost never on board unless he needed something. Uh, looks like that could be Lynn Wood, by the way. I'm not sure it's Roger Stone, so I just want to stand corrected. Uh, third, the other people that aren't signed on are people that you should really believe are firmly in the president's camp. John Thune has been loyal. Mitch McConnell has been indispensable. Senator Mike Lee actually led the charge to fight off the president uh, impeachment and got Amy Coney Barrett bulldogged her right through. You see the passion? His face was beat red. He was about to explode. He led a brilliant charge. Lindsey Graham's not signing on to this. It's not a matter of not getting tough. He doesn't believe it's politically wise. He doesn't believe it's smart for the country. There's way too many people like Tom Cotton who didn't sign on, like uh, Senator Rick Scott, Senator Tim Scott, that didn't sign on, that just think the world of the president. I just think what the Washington Post story is true. The political story, I should say. That he's told at least three people he knows he lost. He's just going to go out there and fight and keep staying in the press. But what I think should have been the focus should have been winning those two Senate races. And right now, one's lost and one is close to gone, which means the president leaves without the House, the Senate, or the White House. Even though he did, his party did exceedingly well on November 3rd, they weren't even supposed to hold the Senate. They could have done a lot better last night. And we'll see if we're going to get, in, uh, get some results as we continue with the show. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, This is one of those shows where we're doing as much prepared stuff as we can while riding the breaking news. Uh, We are trying to find out what's going on in Georgia. The vote's going to start counting. I think they started counting again 55 minutes ago. Uh, We know Warnock has won one big upset. Uh, beats uh, Leffler, Kelly Leffler, who is a weak candidate, nice person, has no political experience. It wasn't exactly a natural. Uh, this uh, began to go wrong when the governor, Brian Kemp, went against the president and picked, didn't pick Doug Collins, who was actually a pastor and could have won against the reverend and beat him Bible, Bible verse for Bible verse. Next, 
The other story we're watching is the Ossoff-Purdue race, too close to call at this hour, and the ballots again begin to be counting. The other big story is what's happening on Capitol Hill. There's going to be a march on 1:30, and there's a, there's a march for President Trump now. He's supposed to be speaking at this moment. We've already heard from Don Jr., Eric. We also heard Rudy Giuliani speak. Uh, we did not bring that to you. We were in break at the time. And I think it was Lynn Wood who also was there. Not sure because he's not part of the legal team. Uh, so we'll see what's happening on those two events. And then we'll have the fireworks inside the Capitol as ele- at least 11 uh, Republicans plan on speaking up and speaking out. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What they don't need is to be shamed. What they don't need is the threat of fines. If the state of New York says, well, you get a million dollar fine if you move too quickly and you get a hundred thousand dollar fine if you move too slowly, that doesn't get anyone anywhere. Right. Uh, thanks, Mr. Mayor. Uh, and calling your governor arrogant, you, you, you finally said something I agree with. But the COVID-19 lockdowns, the lockouts and adjustments made to get the vaccines in the arms of Americans. We'll talk about what you should not do. And that's fine hospitals for not doing it quick enough. Number two. What I can tell you is that these votes have been properly certified by the states. And I have to agree with Vice President Pence if he's concluded that he does not have the authority to simply reject these sets of votes. Jonathan Hurley talking from his bunker. The march and the challenge. Thousands are gathering for Trump and in the Capitol. Republican lawmakers are standing up to stop the certification of the Electoral College election. We'll cover it all. Number one. And I think following that famous hour-long rambling uh, and, and, frankly, completely and wildly inappropriate call is a reminder that President Trump's unconventional and divisive style of leadership did not produce the results Republicans might have hoped for in Georgia. Uh, thank you, uh, Chris Coons. Uh, the Georgia runoff. Looks like the Dems might just be running away with the Senate, what it means and where we go. But first, I'd like to go out to Griff Jenkins. Griff is doing yeoman's work as usual. He's on the ground as a Fox News correspondent, as well as doing a lot of anchoring here. But, Griff, you're covering what they say is going to be a march for Trump, a rally that began assembling last night. What could you tell us about what's happening right now as we wait for the president? Hey, Brian, let me tell you, there's quite a lot of activity, and I am down here on the ellipse, and it is the area between the White House and the Washington Monument and the Mall, and there are... Tens of thousands of Trump supporters that have turned out. They know what's happening on Capitol Hill with the certification of the Electoral College. And they have heard, as you mentioned in the intro, from the president, both of the president's sons. They heard from Laura Trump. They heard from Katrina Pearson. And they just moments ago heard from the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani. But what's going to be fascinating, Brian, is that I predict the president moments from now will come down to this stage and give a sort of a Braveheart-style speech to send Republicans on Capitol Hill into battle to challenge these results. But as we discussed this morning on Fox and Friends, it's really dead on arrival in so much as both the House and the Senate would have to vote to support any sort of action uh, like that. And with a Democrat-controlled Nancy Pelosi-led House of Representatives, it's just not going to happen. But the other takeaway is, you know, we could be looking, Brian, at the last time that President Trump addresses this crowd of diehard supporters and the millions that voted for him, and they perhaps know that as well, and that's why they've turned out 
so strong. We heard from Don Jr. saying, listen, this isn't just the Republican Party. Don't ever forget it's Donald Trump's Republican Party now. And for those Republicans on Capitol Hill today that don't have courage, well, we'll be in your states, in your backyards in the years to come. So very fascinating uh, in terms of what we're going to hear. I would add one last thing uh, before I ramble on too long, and that is uh, the pressure that's going to be put probably by the president on the stage here moments from now on Vice President Pence because he's been tweeting nonstop about him to have courage to try and do something. It dates back to the 1800s electoral voting law, but in reality, there's really nothing that Mike Pence can do unilaterally outside of what Congress does. And so he's really in between a rock and a hard place, man. But see, when you talk about fighting, fighting for what? I mean, the election's over. There's only so much you could do. The math is done. Uh, you know, the, the pro, there's a legal argument to make. You don't do that by screaming and wearing a MAGA hat. And you don't do that by getting in front of a rally and making a speech. The, even, the, even the runoff elections are over. You could be the biggest Trump supporter, but the fight's over. Well, I think you're spot on, and you really put your finger on what I think you're going to hear from um, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, right? Because you go into roll call, the first one of the first states to go will be Arizona. That'll be the first contest. It looks like Senator Josh Hawley will lead that challenge. And as soon as that challenge comes, expect to hear from Mitch McConnell saying, there's nothing here to fight. Stop. Don't do this. Don't force us into ultimately taking a vote that Democrats in just two years from now can use against many of these members and say, look, these guys voted or, or made a big spectacle trying to vote and fight for something that was never attainable. The other takeaway is the tens of thousands of people standing right around me right now, you know, one of life's biggest uh, disappointments is, is when you have a high, high expectation of something and then it falls through, right? That's really just a reality of life. And so I'm not sure what they expect here to be the end result because, you know, you do the math, you know how it ends, but it's certainly an opportunity uh, for the president to perhaps lay the ground for a 2024 run. Uh, the other thing, Griff, is I don't have any patience for Democrats who said, how dare you protest a vote when they protested for four years, when Hillary Clinton conceded, but then basically for four years said she won. And you had 70 people boycott the inaugural, which was not pandemic related. And you had so many who said he was not my president. So they can, they find themselves in a tough spot, most of them saying, really, you're condemning these guys for 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 speaking up and speaking out. But I've never seen anything quite like this. Do you sense, with your Washington experience, we're in uncharted waters, do you sense that this could go on for hours? Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, two things on that. Number one, you're spot on. In 2005, when Senator Barbara Boxer joined Stephanie Tubbs of Ohio and, and protested and contested the Electoral College uh, results because of voting irregularities, well, she was a hero. Now, Josh Hawley's the first senator to stand up and say he's going to do it, and they vilify him. So that that's just unbelievable in and of itself, the hypocrisy that's in full display. And I think you're going to see more of that again today. You'll see the Democrats overplay their hands. Senator Sanders already saying this is uh, some form of 
of uh, tyranny and the dictatorship-like behavior. Now, as far as what we'll get to on the Hill, if Senator George McConnell cannot shut this down, Republicans want to do, they are going to drag this on not into the afternoon, probably not into just the evening, but maybe even into tomorrow, because every time you have a, a, a legitimate challenge, meaning a one House member and one senator is joining in on contesting any of one of 50 state electoral certifications, trying to seek to send it back to their state legislature, you get two hours of debate on it and a vote, and there's all sorts of parliamentarian procedures. And if the end goal for Ted Cruz and others in that group of 12 is to really make a huge point, well, the longer they can do it, the better. It's the old filibuster spirit. Right. I hear you. Uh, Griff, it's going to be interesting. So when the president starts speaking, I know you're going to be there. Lastly, I saw one of our reporters got shouted down by MAGA supporters. I couldn't believe we're in a world like this. But have you gotten negative reports because so many people in that group seem to be upset at Fox? You know, I will be honest and say I've gotten at least a dozen or more people say, you know, boo Fox, Fox sucks just tough stuff and you know i'm a de-escalation guy occasionally i engage him and say listen you know i appreciate your uh, point of view but you know stay with us we always get it right uh but the vitriol ever since i went down a month ago to Valdosta, and they were chanting that i was a traitor in the background it was a vitriol a level of vitriol that i hadn't ever seen before towards fox it's uh disappointing but so far, the only major chance we've been hearing is CNN sucks, and that's certainly obviously been, uh, you know, played over and over again, uh, the crowd chanting that at, uh, at the rallies of the past. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is a crowd not just upset at Fox or CNN, but really upset with the media in general, and, you know, that's because for four years, the president has really driven home the fake news thing, and... If he doesn't like it, it's fake news. Right. And, Griff, I do not ever I, – I chanted one time that you were a traitor, but, you know, I had a few beers, and <laughs> I take it back. I really regret doing it. Listen, I just want the opportunity, since I've got – I'm going to be on the, the amazing Brian Kelly radio show to point out, completely unrelated to these politics, the Washington football team – may actually sink the Bucks and Brady, that's my prediction, and go on to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, well, I have nothing against Washington, but the Eagles rolled over like I've never seen a team roll over to the point where the Eagles, would they had to be held back for of attacking their own coach. So I don't know if you if you feel the same way, but you know Washington prevailed with a 7-9 record. They play the, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, led by this guy named Tom Brady. Uh, good luck. You do have a fearsome foursome, but I do not see you prevailing. Good job, Griff. Hey, thanks, Brian. Got it. one 866 So we're waiting on the president, but in the meantime, John Ossoff is not waiting to get certifi- certified. Listen to the Senate candidate claim victory. Cut one. It is with humility that I thank the people of Georgia for electing me to serve you in the United States Senate. Thank you for the confidence and trust that you have placed in me. Mm. The problem is they haven't placed it yet. You are leading, but there's a lot more votes yet uh, yet to count. We'll talk about that and so much more. We'll also take your calls and get your feedback. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
newsmakers, and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Raphael Warnock has won his race. John Ossoff thinks he won his race, but it is not over yet. Keep in mind, 17,000 military ballots have yet to be counted. 4.4 million in total were voted absentee or early. One million came in the mail. Let just show you how much more interest there is in this. Last time they had a runoff election in Georgia, there were 2 million votes cast. 4.4 came in early, so it's pretty amazing. When we see the overall walk-up, they kept telling us if you get over a million, Purdue is going to win. Likely uh, likely Kelly would have won. I'm not sure what happened. They say, according to Bill Hammer, who knows this stuff inside and out, they have not, not seen evidence of a boycott, but— one in five Republicans, when asked, disapproved of the president's behavior since Election Day. And if just that many didn't show up, that could be the reason why Purdue, who's had such a commanding win, 49 percent of the vote, and had an 88,000 advantage over Ossoff, suddenly finds himself at a deficit. It makes absolutely no sense. Ossoff is, is not somebody with uh, qualifications to beat somebody like Purdue. But I think that Molly Hemingway also brought up a good point. Excuse me, Ben Dominic has brought up, brought up a good point in that you have uh, David Perdue, who has had more stock trades than anybody else on Capitol Hill, and then you have the richest woman uh, on Capitol Hill running. That's hardly what got Donald Trump the votes and support, which is the voice of the worker winning over the blue-collar player. What does it mean? If Purdue does not come back, it means every chairmanship belongs to a Democrat. Even though it's 50-50, they lose the power. Bernie Sanders in charge of the budget. Judiciary Dick Durbin. Is that unbelievable? Well, it's the reality. John Heilman weighed in. Cut 10. The fact that Democrats have the committee chairmanships matters a lot. Obviously, this is going to, as you said... Um, it, it puts Democrats in a position of being able to get stuff on the floor that McConnell thwarted previously. But in a 50-50 Senate, you know, no, every senator has an incredible amount of leverage, right? You can, Democrats can't afford to lose a single vote on a single thing, which means that, you know, in a chamber where everyone has power, in a lot of ways, no one has power, right? It's, it's, it's a very, very fragile situation. And to your point, where is the action at that point? The action becomes the moderate Democrats and the moderate Republicans. That's where the coalition work happens if things are going to get done. Interesting. Uh, he does understand politics, Heilman. Uh, he went on to say there was a time in which this happened. It wasn't too long ago uh, when Tom Daschle and Trent Lott had to split power. Cut nine. We've not seen a 50-50 Senate that many times in American history, but we, it's not that long ago the last time we saw one, which was in 2001, after another closely contested election uh, in 2000. And you had, you know, Tom Daschle became the minority leader in that case. Trent Lott became the majority leader. They governed in a kind of co- in a, a procedural coalition. They made the determination. None of this is prescribed, by the way. They made the decision that all the committees would have an equal number of Democrats and Republicans. But the Republicans in that case, because they had the presidency in a 50-50, uh, the Republicans would have the chairmanships. 
and then they worked out among themselves kind of how they would run the chamber. Now that was a much more uh, even in 2000, back in 2001, 20 years ago now, uh, was a more was a less polarized environment, a less bitterly divided Senate. There was a lot more collegiality in that time. So we'll see. Schumer and McConnell are going to have to work together because a lot of stuff is going to have to be worked out in an informal way. Yeah, but it was really the Republicans to lose, and they may have lost it, and that's the problem. If you told me November 4th Republicans lost the Senate, that was almost expected. But now you're telling me on January 5th they've lost the Senate, not expected. And it is not over. The military ballots have not been, ca- uh, have not been counted. Gabe Sterling, he's head of the Georgia Voting Implementation. He's the manager there. He came out and just said the president is solely responsible for the Republican losses. One thing is pretty clear. He took aim at the Secretary of State, the Republican, who's a colleague of his, so he's obviously mad at the president, and Brian Kemp. He said the president did. I'm a schmuck for endorsing him. I will come back and fight that he loses the next election, which is almost certainly going to be against Stacey Abrams. So that might just keep him from getting the nomination. And the, the President Trump does not have the power now that he had 24 hours ago if Purdue can't hold on. But there's a lot of passionate people waiting a matter of just a few minutes for the president to begin to speak. And the Electoral College college battle battle will also start shortly. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back with the ultimate insider, Bill Crane, in just a moment. WSB. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Makes it look like... um... John Ossoff will likely have a margin outside of the half a percent to avoid a recount. Um, and obviously, Reverend Warnock is ahead of him right now. So if Ossoff avoids that recount, so, so does um, uh, Reverend Warnock. And that was and that is uh, Gabe Sterling, uh, the Georgia voting implementation manager, who is uh, firing off on the president, firing off on Republicans, even though he's a Republican, saying that Democrats want to were knocking on doors while these guys were fighting with each other. And it's cost them two Senate seats. Bill Crane, senior communication strategist, chief political analyst, commentator on WSB radio and TV over in Atlanta, syndicated columnist, too. Bill, you said this. Uh, you said Republicans are being outworked. Uh, this is danger. You said that uh, Loeffner's in trouble, and she is. She lost. What could you tell us about this election as it stands right now with Ossoff and Purdue? There are 17,000 overseas military ballots that are still out. Those will probably come in predominantly Republican, but out, otherwise out state, there are between 65 and 70,000 ballots, most of which were absentees cast on Election Day and put in drop boxes by 7 p.m. last night as well as several thousand ballots that are allowing three days to be cured, the majority of those will come into the Democratic columns. And so my my forecast would be, as it was related to President Trump's victory on November the 3rd, um, the Democrats in this case are ahead in both cases and an insurmountable lead in the case of the Warnock race. Um, and I would expect the majority of those ballots will come in with John Ossoff and close off that opportunity for Senator David Perdue to be reelected. How did he lose an 88,000 000- vote advantage in six weeks? Two words. President Trump. 
and I'll also share because it wouldn't be something that would be monitored much by Fox News or, or known to your listeners. The person who got the most votes on the ballot yesterday is a Republican incumbent public service commissioner at the bottom of the ballot named Bubba McDonald, who had a very simple, somewhat centrist platform. I will keep your utility rates low. Let's do more solar. That was it. And he got substantially several thousand more votes than either David Perdue or um, Kelly Leffler. What what about Trump's message? Was it the fighting with the governor, the secretary of state? Was it uh, the the condemnation of the process? All across the state, not just in Metro Atlanta, the president's campaign all day long up through and and during tabulation was running ads saying the November 3rd election was stolen. Suitcases were rolled into to the night. Your your votes don't matter in Georgia. Call the governor, call your senators. All setting up for today's uh, congressional certification of the electoral college results. But again, not focused. The, the same money in the president's campaign could have been talking about what was at stake yesterday, and what a non divided government can do, and reminding even Americans of what happened during 2008 to 2010 when President Obama had both chambers of Congress. But none of that happened. And you and I have talked about this offline and and online. The day before the election, I had my fourth door knocker from the Democratic Party come by because I waited until Wednesday to drop my absentee ballot just to see how long and how many points of contact I'd get from both campaigns. And it wasn't even close. And I know we've got some good people at the RNC and the RNSC and even our state party, but they were playing to the base, playing to the base, playing to the base, playing to the base. And I would contend to win a general election, you need to throw at least a few balls across the center. So this is this was their race to lose, and they lost it. Yes, and, and I also have to, you know, with, I don't like piling on. And I've got some friends who are on the Leffler campaign staff, and I, and I know I've, it's bruising to be where they are right now. But there were people who were helping and, and trying to tell them earlier, we understand embracing the president. We understand perhaps the position she was in the night of the rally um, on stage alone with the president when he was pressing to get an answer about objecting today in Congress. And but but the results are showing that a little bit of distance wouldn't have been hurtful. Yeah. Um, and the president, I did not know, was running ads about November 3rd and not about January 5th. On election day, <laughs> and during tabulation last night, yeah, it was it was amazing in a not good way. You told me that we, if uh, Republicans wanted to be successful, they needed over a million people to come out on election day. Did they? We had a million four votes cast. What I'm still looking at and don't have yet to tell you is where that votes were. But what we do know in a lot of very solid Republican counties and the two most Republican districts, the 10th and the 14th which respectively now Marjorie Taylor Greene's district and was Doug Collins' district, turnout was down 5 to 10 percent across those two districts, whereas in the 4th District and the 5th District, the district former Congressman John Lewis and uh, Hank Johnson, the two most Democratic districts in the state, also in the basic, in the, you know, basically in the middle of metropolitan Atlanta, turnout exceeded the general election on Election Day and turnout exceeded in early voting, and turnout was just down a bit for absentees. So Doug Collins, if he was active and helping, would have helped? 
I know he was active helping the president, and I'm not suggesting that he didn't do more than endorse Kelly Loeffler, but if he did a lot more, I did not see it. Uh, in terms of Warnock, I cannot believe the Reverend Warnock, who has the credentials to be a member of the squad more than to be a representative of, of Georgia, with all the negatives that he has, would prevail. But people have to vote. I mean, ultimately, Brian, people still have to show up and vote. So I would agree with you. I don't think Georgia became the blue state last night. I think the, the Democratic Party out-hustled, out-worked, out-registered, out-turned out, out-absenteed, all of the tactical things we could spend the rest of the day talking about. And it's not a short list. The Democrats did better, and, and that's not the way it's been historically here. Gabriel Sterling, who you mentioned earlier, I gave him his first job on the 1992 runoff of Paul Coverdell. I was the communications director against Weiss Fowler, the Democratic incumbent. And they outspent us four to one, but we were ready for the runoff and the three-week sprint, and we won that election. And then I was you know, helpful to Saxby Chambliss in 2008, and we won that election. I mean, the resources were there, and both sides had unlimited resources. I mean, for anybody to say we didn't have enough money, or we didn't, both sides had the most unlimited war chest we've ever experienced in politics with all of the combined spending probably going to top $600 million between the two Senate races. Um, and they didn't just blow it small. Uh, Bill Crane is with us, WSB Radio TV, syndicated columnist right over there in Atlanta, over in Georgia, giving us the true story about what's happening on the ground. So uh, David Perdue had to be quarantined the last few days, and he chose not to show up at the debate First on the debate, was that a bad move? I understand when it's high stakes and you and he didn't shine in the first debate, although he was fine. He, it wasn't a sterling moment, and it's not really – he's a CEO, and when you've been a CEO at his level, sometimes taking hostile questions from people you don't like or reporters that you don't agree with the premise of the question, you, you bristle. So I think it was a, that was a tacti- tactical, calculated move. I don't think it was a major negative for him. But – the, the timing of the COVID-19 not breaking with the president on either the defense spending veto or uh, publicly or um, getting COVID and, and not being able to be there on the trail. Or, you know, he could have still masked Ben because he tested negative every day since. He could have been at the rally and, you know, kept his distance from everybody and just come in and, and perhaps given some reinforcement to Senator Leffler. And those things didn't happen. And I think those things collectively did contribute to some drop-off in his vote out state. He is well-regarded, particularly among Republican activists. But again, you had the president and and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell and others saying they don't deserve your vote, that uh, David Perdue and Kelly Leffler have not done enough for this president for, for days and weeks. And, yeah, that message got softened at the very end, but mm-hmm. doesn't mean a lot of people didn't have it still sticking in their head when they were trying to decide during this COVID mm-hmm. pandemic spike, am I going to leave the House and go out on Election Day? I got text people asking me, I, you know, I tested positive or a member of my family tested positive or I'm afraid I'll get the disease should I vote today. Is my vote that critical? And so people were weighing that on Election Day when that Republican turnout really needed a surge. So Chuck Schumer's now claiming he's the majority leader, even though this race has not been finalized. Just it hasn't last... been certified yet. Right. I mean, there's going to be a lot of crowing and chest thumping. I would mention, besides Bubba McDonald, we hung on to the most of our state Senate and House seats here. And House Speaker David Ralston here in Georgia has a caucus that's pretty diverse. So they had some issues that reached out to suburban women. They basically uh, put in some uh, parental leave legislation that Georgia never had before, some, mater- some maternal mortality issues and health care spending and concerns. They call it the culture of life issues in, in their wheelhouse. And I think, again, 
if, you, if the Republican Party wants to maintain majority in Georgia going forward or win the governor's race in two years, they can't lose seven of nine metropolitan core counties. It's, it's the math is not there. So they have to have issues and concerns that speak specifically to suburban women. Women were, as best we know right now, looking at the data, 56% of the vote yesterday was female. And you know who the, the core Republican Party vote is, a white male. So there just weren't enough, I'm a white guy, at the polls with the offset on the other side. Uh, but in terms of the actual mechanics of this, when do they count the military votes? When do they finish counting the county votes? They're supposed to have all of the absentees at least logged into the system, which means open, not tabulated yet, but there's a, pro- there's a process, and we talked about on the air, you open the ballot, separate the signature after you've done the signature match to make sure it's a, a ballot that should be tabulated, or if it has something missing, then it goes in a, what they call a spoil pile, and those are the ballots that can be cured flattened out so they can go through the scanners, and then it goes to another table to maintain ballot secrecy, and it is scanned. So that's all supposed to happen except for the tabulation part by 1 p.m. today. They will be tabulating absentees because there's so many left probably through Thursday or Friday. The overseas military ballots have to arrive by Friday, and three days after Election Day, which is Tuesday, is how much is left for ballot curing. So basically, for certification purposes, by Friday, everything has to be in and tabulated, and if the results are still within half a percentage point, the losing candidate can request a recount at no cost to their campaign, as we did three recounts of the general election, and I expect there may be one in the Alstom Purdue race. Yeah, we'll see. So uh, I heard that they're counting military ballots on Friday. That's not correct. <clears throat> they have to be in and tabulated by Friday. That's correct. Okay, uh, Bill Crane. It's not that you didn't predict it. It's not like you didn't predict it right here and on your many outlets on WSB TV and radio. Uh, and his column is One Man's Opinion. Bill Crane, thanks so much. Take care, Brian. All right. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I was sitting at home in Brooklyn watching my television and at about midnight, having talked to Ossoff about three or four times and Warnock several times, I realized that even though he was behind then by about a couple of thousand votes, that all the votes that were coming in were going to be Democratic votes, and the odds were very, very high uh, that he would win. And wow, who would have thought, as I said, <laughs> this is not the path we chose to get here, but we're here. Uh, Chuck Schumer feels like he won already. John Ossoff basically said thanks. Uh, But the official tally isn't done, although Bill Crane paints a dismal picture for Republicans who really shot themselves in the foot. Uh, And he blames it. Uh, The the head of elections in Georgia blames the president, but they're in a war. And Bill Crane really says it was the mixed message come from the RNC. The fact is they're talking about cheating elections and carts and, and votes that disappeared. Instead of running ads about the runoff and what's at stake and Bernie Sanders, chairman of the Budget Commission, and Dick Durbin, head of judiciary, and uh, all these Democrats that are now going to be in control on every branch of government, how could you not put an ad talking about what's at stake? Gino listening on 97.1 FM News Talk in St. Louis. Hey, Gino. 
Thank you, Brian. Look, I uh, I woke up this morning with that sinking feeling in my stomach that this is really terrible. You know, the, the taxes are now going to go up. You know, corporate jobs are going to be leaving. There's going to be a lot more stimulus. I'm not even getting any of that stimulus. And we're going to be paying for illegal aliens. There's bailing out all the states, sanctuary cities and yep. states and, and, and lockouts. And here's my point. I look at the stock market this morning. It's up five. 500 points. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. Something's wrong here. How can a market be up 500 points when all this stuff is going to take effect because the Democrats are now in control of everything? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't pass my logic test. I feel like I'm living in 1929 and we're just, we're about to, everything's going to pop. Please help me out here, Brian. I wish I could. I mean, I'm watching the market go up too. First, it was up about 10 points when I started the show. Now we're in the th- my last hour here. And I'm watching the market up for almost 500 points. And a couple of things are happening. The Electoral College is being, uh, is being pressured by Republicans who are standing up saying that they did not uh, tabulate and change constitutions in states. So 12 Republican senators are going to challenge it. 100 Republican congressmen and women are going to challenge it. At the same time, you have what looks to me about 50,000, maybe more, re- Trump supporters outside the White House, and the president's going to speak shortly. You would think, okay, this is a country divided. Then you have two races not yet determined. One is determined, one isn't. That's going to give total power to Democrats, although it's going to be tedious, I mean, tenuous. So it should be a situation where the market feels unsettled. It is not right now, but we know how quick that, that can change, especially with the pandemic raging. Look what's happening in California They are now telling people we don't have enough oxygen to put into ambulances, so we're not sending them. And if a patient, when they show up, looks like he's not going to make it or she's not going to make it, don't bring them to the hospital. Arizona is also raging. So you, at the very least, not only have people struggling with this pandemic, you have no you have no economic dollars. There's no state economy. They're going to need payments written on overdraft to these states. But yet the market, Gino, seems to be working on its own uh, own set of rules. Thanks so much for the call. Let's find out if there's more, even more to know. More to know. So Major League Baseball is worried about the COVID-19 virus. An industry source confirmed to USA Today that the clubs will receive receiving a memo from their central office that, quote, will be subject to it. You'll be subject to a significant discipline by the commissioner should you violate COVID-19 restrictions. Until spring, tra- spring training begins, the players are allowed at the team complexes will, uh, so they can work out. Spring training scheduled to start on April 1st. They hope the vaccine would allow them to have fans. It doesn't look like there is. Next. We continue. Joe Exotic's father died of COVID, hoping for a pardon before the funeral. Too bad. I never got that. Next. C-SPAN announces that Steve Scully will return despite lying about his hacked Twitter account. They talked to, I talked to him going to Anthony Scaramucci talking about what he should say about the president when the president had a negative tweet to him. Quote, Scully was placed on administrative leave in October. His initial assignment will be off air at C-SPAN television. What do you think? I'm, I mean, in a way, not pleasantly, but surprised he's back. But right, there should be some sort of redemption, right? He should not have lied. But does everyone need to lose their job forever over a mistake? However, when he's starting back, he's starting off-air producing. He's not going right back on the air. 
Next, the hidden danger at gyms, how bodily emissions during sweaty workouts can create harmful chemicals. That, according to researchers at University of Colorado Boulder, says one of the sweaty workouts produces many bodily chemicals of five people sitting still. Researchers say these human emissions include amino acids. That could be problematic. My problem with that is, in almost every gym, you have no tracing going back. I've been working out now since June, and you have not had anything traced back to a gym which is now packed out. And what about the benefits of just being healthy for yeah. your heart and your body? And eating right and having that mental health to approach this. So, sorry, Colorado, I'm not buying it. Uh, we'll be covering all the events, bringing you live and on tape. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.